Section 6 of The Walt of Kai Lung by Ernest Brahma. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 1 The Transmutation of Ling, Part 6. When these matters were arranged, Ling returned to his tent, a victim to feelings of a deep and confused doubt, for all courses seemed to be surrounded by extreme danger, with a strong possibility of final disaster. While he was considering these things attentively, the spy who had brought word of the presence of the enemy again sought him. As he entered, Ling perceived that his face was the color of a bleached linen garment, while there came with him the odor of sickness. There are certain matters which this person has not made known, he said, having first expressed a request that he might not be compelled to stand while he conversed. The bowmen are as an inferior kind of jackal, and they who lead them are pigs, but this person has observed that the heaven-sent commander has internal organs like steel hardened in a white fire and polished by running water. For this reason he will narrate to him the things he has seen, things at which the lesser ones would undoubtedly perish in terror without offering to strike a blow. Speak, said Ling, without fear and without concealment. In numbers the rebels are as three to one with the bowmen, and are in addition armed with matchlocks and other weapons. This much I have already told said the spy. Yesterday they entered the village of Key without resistance, as the dwellers there were all peaceable persons, who gained a living from the fields, and who neither understood nor troubled about the matters between the rebels and the army. Relying on the promises made by the rebel chiefs, the villagers even welcomed them, as they had been assured that they came as buyers of their corn and rice. Today not a house stands in the street of Key, not a person lives, the men they slew quickly or held for torture, as they desired of the moment. The boys they hung from the trees as marks for their arrows. Of the women and children, this person, who has since been subject to several attacks of fainting and vomiting, desires not to speak. The wells of Key are filled with the bodies of such as had the good fortune to be warned in time to slay themselves. The cattle drag themselves from place to place on their forefeet. The fish in the Hing Kiang are dying for they cannot live on water thickened with blood. All these things this person has seen. When he had finished speaking, Ling remained in deep and funereal thought for some time. In spite of his mild nature, the words which he had heard filled him with an inextinguishable desire to slay in hand-to-hand -hand fighting. He regretted that he had placed the decision of the matter before Li Qin. If only this person had a mere handful of brave and expert warriors, he would not hesitate to fall upon those savage and barbarous characters, and either destroy them to the last one, or let his band suffer a like fate, he murmured to himself. The return of the messenger found him engaged in reviewing the bowmen, and still in this mood, so that it was with a commendable feeling of satisfaction, no less than virtuous contempt, that he learned of the Mandarin's journey to Peking, as soon as he understood that the rebels were certainly in the neighborhood. The wise and ornamental Li Qin is undoubtedly consistent in all matters, said Ling, with some refined bitterness. The only information regarding his duties to which this person obtained from him chanced to be a likening of war to skillful chess play and to this end the accomplished person in question has merely availed himself of a common expedient which places him at the remote side of the divine emperor. Yet this act is not unwelcome. For the responsibility of deciding what course is to be adopted now clearly rests with this person. He is, as those who are standing by may perceive, of under the usual height, 
and of no particular mental or bodily attainments. But he has eaten the rice of the emperor, and wears the imperial sign embroidered upon his arm. Before him are encamped the enemies of his master and of his land, and in no way will he turn his back upon them. Against brave and skillful men, such as those whom this person commands, rebels of a low and degraded order are powerless, and are, moreover, openly forbidden to succeed by the forty-second mandate in the sacred book of arguments. Should it have happened that into this assembly any person of a perfidious or uncourageous nature has gained entrance by guile, and has not been detected and driven forth by his outraged companions, as would certainly occur if such a person were discovered, I, Ling, commander of bowmen, make an especial and well-considered request that he shall be struck by a molten thunderbolt if he turns to flight or holds thoughts of treachery. Having thus addressed and encouraged the soldiers, Ling instructed them that each one should cut and fashion for himself a graceful but weighty club from among the branches of the trees around, and return to the tents for the purpose of receiving food and rice spirit. When noon was passed, allowing such time as would enable him to reach the camp of the enemy an hour before darkness, Ling arranged the bowmen in companies of convenient numbers, and commenced the march, sending forward spies who were to work silently and bring back tidings from every point. In this way he penetrated to with a single lee of the ruins of Key, being informed by the spies that no outposts of the enemy were between him and that place. Here the first rest was made to enable the more accurate and bold spies to reach them with trustworthy information regarding the position and movements of the camp. With little delay, there returned the one who had brought the earliest tidings, bruised and torn with his successful haste through the forest, but wearing a complacent and well-satisfied expression of countenance. Without hesitation, or waiting to demand money before he would reveal his knowledge, he at once disclosed that the greater part of the enemy were rejoicing among the ruins of Key, they having discovered there a quantity of opium and a variety of liquids, while only a small guard remained in the camp with their weapons ready. At these words, Ling sprang from the ground in gladness, so great was his certainty of destroying the invaders utterly. It was, however, with less pleasurable emotions that he considered how he should affect the matter, for it was in no way advisable to divide his number into two bands. Without any feeling of unendurable conceit, he understood that no one but himself could hold the bowmen before an assault, however weak. In a similar manner, he determined that it would be more advisable to attack those in the village first. These he might have reasonable hopes of cutting down without warning the camp, or in any event, before those from the camp arrived. To assail the camp first would assuredly, by the firing, draw upon them those from the village, and in whatever evil state these might arrive, they would by their numbers terrify the bowmen, who without doubt would have suffered some loss from the matchlocks. Waiting for the last light of day, Ling led on the men again, and sending forward some of the most reliable, surrounded the place of the village silently and without detection. In the open space, among broken casks and other inconsiderable matters, plainly shown by the large fires at which burned the last remains of the houses of Key, many men moved or lay, some already dull or in heavy sleep. As the darkness dropped suddenly, the signal of a peacock's shriek three times uttered rang forth and immediately a cloud of arrows directed from all sides poured in among those who feasted. Seeing their foemen defenseless before them, the archers neglected the orders they had received, 
and throwing away their bows, they rushed in with uplifted clubs, uttering loud shouts of triumph. The next moment a shot was fired in the wood, drums beat, and in an unbelievably short space of time a small but well-armed band of the enemy was among them. Now that all need of caution was at an end, Ling rushed forward with raised sword, calling to his men that victory was certainly theirs, and dealing discriminating and inspiring blows whenever he met a foeman. Three times he formed the bowmen into a figure emblematic of a triumph, and led them against the line of matchlocks. Twice they fell back, leaving mingled dead under the feet of the enemy. The third time they stood firm, and Ling threw himself against the waving rank in a noble and inspired endeavor to lead the way through. At that moment, when a very distinguished victory seemed within his hand, his elegant and well-constructed sword broke upon an iron shield, leaving him defenseless and surrounded by the enemy. Chief among the sublime virtues enjoined by the divine Confucius, began Ling, folding his arms and speaking in an unmoved voice, is an intelligent submission. But at that word he fell beneath a rain of heavy and unquestionably well-aimed blows. End of section 6